It says this. Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one but Jews. But there were some, some men from Cyprus and Cyrene among them, who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks too, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. A report about them came to the attention of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts, because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a significant number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a significant number of people. Now it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. At that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, got up and predicted by the Spirit that severe famine was about to come over the whole inhabited world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. So the disciples, each in accordance with his financial ability, decided to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. They did so, sending their financial aid to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words here this morning. Lord, for the, the testimony, God, of the expansion of the gospel. And Lord, you're speaking to the church to prepare them for a good work. And God, I just pray right now here in this moment that you would give me the words. That Lord, that you would speak through me here this morning. That all of us would be encouraged and uplifted, just as the church was encouraged and uplifted in the church of Antioch. Lord, we love you, and we pray your spirit would open our, our eyes and our, our minds to hear and perceive what you would have us to understand here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. You ever done anything that takes endurance? Yeah. Right? So... When I was uh, about five, you know, five years ago, when we first came here, um, Marty and Carrie uh, took a group out to go backpacking. We were getting ready to go on our next trip uh, here at the end of the month, and so I'll be gone on the 30th, so not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that. And uh, so I just want to let you know, give a little heads up there. Um, so we're going to be gone backpacking, we're going to be off in the woods uh, at the Beartooth something or other, my excuse. There it is. I said train. No, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> it means that my sledge are going. No way out. Just say them loudly. There it is. Um, <clears throat> do something with it. There it comes. Yay. Okay. Don't touch. <laughs> uh, and so I remember you know, telling the story. So we got a couple of newbies coming with us. Uh, this, come, this coming trip, uh, Kaylee, and who's going to be here next week. Uh, and uh, Brendan, her brother, just keep going. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, and so, so yeah, so I remember my first my first trip, and so it was interesting, like to you know to be able to 
to talk with them and to uh, to share my experiences of, you know, when I first got going, I was about 300 pounds. And an extra 50 pounds on top of that because I was dumb and didn't know how to pack. And so it just loaded all up, <laughs> so as, much, as heavy as possible. Um, and so, um, what is going on? Just keep going with your story. Um, anyway, so we started backpacking, we started going, and uh, I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, not even a quarter mile in, and I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm too fast for this. What was I thinking? This pack is heavy. Like, what in the world? And so I kept, you know, it's just like, ah, it's going crazy. And then um, I realized that I just would stay with the pack. If I just stayed with the pack, I'd be all right. If I just stayed with the group, kept going. Maybe they let me, they let, they let me leave and set the pace for a while. And there's a little bit more mental pressure on me. Well, like, oh my goodness. But I'm like, I gotta go, I can't let them down. I gotta leave well, but not too slow, not too long, not too fast. Especially we got some lowlanders, because Rusty and Brad came with us. And they're coming again, so, you know, Rusty gonna be in town. Um, but just this, this endurance that I didn't know I had in me. And then we got up to the very top. And I think you remember maybe saying this, like, holy crap, I did that. I cannot believe I did that. It was like, what, nine miles or seven miles or something crazy, and like the last half of it was like, Straight and like back, you know, switchbacks and stuff. I was going to, I was always going to die, but I had my people with me. We had our relationship together. We had our fellowship together. And we were helping one another, even just simply by our presence. They weren't like behind me saying, you've got this out, you keep going, keep going, you're good. They were just there. And I did it. We did it. We did it. And we got up there, and it was my very first backpacking trip ever in my entire life. And I was like, looking at Blue Lake and realizing we're like 10 miles, 20, 40 miles away from civilization. Then the nurse comes like, good camper. And I was like, wow, we're here. Look how far we all came together. Because of the encouragement of words, yes, but also the encouragement just simply of presence with each other. And that's what we see in our passage today, is this inspiration, this encouragement that we see from the Mr. Encouragement himself, they call him the son of encouragement, Barnabas, here. He encouraged them to stay faithful and to cling to the Lord Jesus, which we'll get to here in a minute. But that brings us to our main point here this morning, is to stay faithful, wait for it, and cling to the Lord and to one another with passionate hearts. To stay faithful to Jesus and cling to the Lord and one another with passionate hearts. With compassionate hearts. With a will and a desire set on good. Set on encouraging one another, spurring one another on to love and good works to growing in our faith, to growing in transformation in our faith and in our lives. And so that brings us to our, our narrative here this morning. So let's walk through this here a little bit. So let's talk about Antioch. Antioch of Syria. This is a huge, huge metropolitan area. This is a massive city. We're talking, you know, especially for back then, 
We're talking like 300,000 to 500,000 people easily just in the city alone. Now, now that would be like LA or Seattle today. Like millions of people comparatively with world, the world population today. It would be like tens of millions of people. This was a massive city for that culture, for that world. This was the hub for all commerce uh, in and through throughout Judea and the whole eastern part of the Roman Empire. Uh, this was known as the Queen of the West. Uh, and there's several reasons for that, which we'll get to here in a second. But this was also the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome, and then you know, Rome, you know, Rome in Italy, and Alexandria in Egypt. So those are the number one, number two, and then, uh, and then here we have Antioch, which is number three population. It's interesting, one of the deacons uh, that was from this play was a Gentile proselyte from Antioch, from here. So if you look, go back, scroll back to uh, Acts chapter like, six, where they rise up and come to call up the, the seven deacons to serve the church. This is where Nicholas, one of those guys, is from. Because there was also, uh, there was also a, um, between about 22 to 50,000 know, 50, Jewish believers and several synagogues throughout the city of Antioch. And so there was lots of people who were coming to faith in Yahweh and following the Jewish, becoming Jewish proselytes there in Antioch themselves. And so this is where we see Nicholas came to Jerusalem, became a Christian, stayed, and then was sent back to Antioch a little later. Um, and so this is actually one of, this is, becomes a central hub for the church. We'll get to that in a second. But this was a, a major seaport, a major land port. But it's interesting, so it was also a heavily, heavily pagan city. So, this was, so there were major temples to Artemis, to Apollo, and Astarte, a.k.a. Ishtar, a.k.a. Minerva, a.k.a. Athena. Massive temples to these gods. And these were very powerful deities. Very powerful, what we call ter you know, ter uh, territorial spirits. These would be the ruling and reigning authorities in the unseen realm, as, as he talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. These authorities and principalities in, in the unseen realms. These are those entities that are real entities, real deities, little g gods. They think that they're better than they are. Our God's the most powerful. Amen. Amen. But these, so there is a massive stronghold of the territorial spirits over this land. And so expect to kind of see deviations from, in, in this town, from the north. A lot of philosophy, a lot of anti-spiritualism, but more philosophy. Very Western Grecian intellect and logic and reasoning. A lot of schools in Antioch as they were in Cyrene. Oh, I'm sorry, in Cilicia. Um, but also expect, because you see that, that entity, Astarte, a.k.a. Ishtar, or Minerva, or Athena, this is also where we get the word Oster, or Easter, from, is from Ishtar. Expect, so her cult was filled with prostitutes. Oh, wow. Male and female. Wow. Male and male. Female and female. Males dressing up as females in her parades. Females dressing up as warriors and men. This was the, expect to see rampant sexual, homosexual, transsexual, pedophilia worship of Ishtar and Astarte. This is what Antioch was all about. 
This is what the cults in Antioch were all about. Go back and read that. There's a newer book called The Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn. And I agree and disagree with a lot of, with a lot of stuff. He's kind of not a great writer, but that's another story. But it's kind of annoying in some places. But he does a great job talking about Ishtar. The history of Ishtar and the modern expression in our 21st century of Ishtar. Wow. In our modern day culture and where she came back in 1969 at the Stonewall Inn through a sexual revolution of trans, homosexual, and pedophilia. And how it's really reigning today in the world elite and in our cities. Mm-hmm. As you've probably seen on the news. Yes, we have. That is the worship of Ishtar. And that was rampant in the city of Antioch. This was, like I said, this was mainly. Uh, this would, in our in our modern world, this would be uh, attuned to places like Seattle, um, because not, it's not just a big city, but it's also a major seaport. And once it comes to the seaport, then it's transported all over around the, all around the country. So Interstate 90, you got you know Interstate 90, you got the you got the five going down through you know Oregon, and then that also connects to 70 and 60, and then 50, 40. 30, 12, you didn't realize that uh, interstates were number 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, all up to 90. It's kind of cool. So if it's even, it goes east to west. If it's odd, it goes, you know, less, I'm sorry, it goes so north to south. Yep. If, it's, if it's odd, then it's west to east. So like 5, 15, 25, 35, 45, yeah. 395. Kind of cool. Um, kind of interesting how they set up the country. But it's also up a river. And it's one, you know, once in the city, the roads would take you anywhere in that, in that entire region. It's also, and so for that reason, it is the center of commerce for that entire, for the entire Judean region. All stuff coming in and out of that area come through Antioch. There's also the center of trade and technology for that region. This is like Seattle, and that, like, what is, what, what's up in Seattle? Costco, from Kirkland, a little town outside of Seattle. You got places like Microsoft has their massive, really? um, massive headquarters there. I actually got to go there when I was an intern. We had some workers that, that we people that work at Microsoft, like in the senior levels, and so I got to go and hang out at Microsoft. Uh, for, and that was fun. To tell you what. It wasn't as fun as Google apparently because they didn't have like you know slides and you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But it was really it was good, neat, neat experience. But so like Microsoft this massive camp, campus up there, but also you have Amazon. That's where the corporate office is, and the hub for Amazon, import and export, is and distribution. It's the hub and the main center for Amazon in the entire world is in Seattle. Interestingly enough, Amazon, which is named after the women in Greek mythology who resembled Artemis and Athena, aka Ishtar, aka Astarte, named after the women who dressed and worshipped. Those days, the Amazons. I always thought it was like, you know, from the Amazons? Yeah. It's from the Amazon. It's from Greek mythology, from Greek wow. worship. And many other things about, you know, many other, other hubs of commerce and trade and technology out there in, in Seattle. So as you're thinking about Antioch, think Seattle. If you've ever been to Seattle, culture and arts, but also rampant sin, brokenness, sexuality, sexual expression. Cultural expression, lots of brokenness. You know, you've been to Seattle, you know, we got, you know, my brother and I got married there. That's where we met. Railroad. 
Really? Yeah. And we were, and I proposed on the dock and you know, around a bunch of podcasts on 420. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not with a smiley face. So when you think about Antioch, think of Seattle. So here's the coolest thing. The gospel goes to Antioch. Oh wow. This is what our passage here this morning is all about. The gospel goes to Antioch. What is that? Some men from Cyrus and Cyrene. Why would you want to go there? Like, I'm so glad I don't live in Seattle anymore. Holy cow. Hey, it's so hard, so hard to live there. And I'm free. Because they do a lot of stupid things. That's another thing. <laughs> but it's so difficult culturally to live there. Churches getting rocks and bricks thrown through their windows because they say that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Because they disagree with, they don't rant, rant, you know, rant and rave against homosexuality or transsexuality. They just simply preach the truth of God's word and they get beat up on the streets. They get death threats through social media. I was the communications manager for the West Seattle campus of, our, of Mars Hill. And if you know anything about Mark Driscoll, he's very outspoken. Especially back then. And we were getting death threats. We had to, we had to, like, we had this package from Mark Driscoll come to our church. And I was afraid it was a bomb. And so we had our pastor open it, and our associate pastor had us, like, leave and go behind things in, in our other rooms. And then he opened it, it was a book. <laughs> but the fear of, of that in a city like that, because of the great persecution, because the gospel message and the way of Christ is hated in cultures like Antioch. But they go there. Like California. Who would want to go to California these days? I was so glad I left California. No way. No way. It's so expensive to live there. And I asked my friend Grant. He moved back to California. And I asked him, Grant, Come on, why aren't you moving to Montana or back to Texas, dude? He's like, because people in California need Jesus. Mm. Especially right now. Especially when things are hard. Especially when the culture is terrible. Especially when people are leaving the church in droves. Especially when people hate the gospel. Especially when people hate the church. People need Jesus and those who represent him to be good representatives in such a dark place. Wow. Well, thanks, Grant. I think we can go with Grant. <laughs> <laughs> you have your call. But I'm so blessed that, that Grant has called. You got your calling, And so, this, what this shows us as well is that Peter was not the only one who went to the Gentiles. This became, you know, maybe they heard about it. Maybe they heard about Peter going to Cornelius' house. Like I said, it became known to everyone. And so everyone started talking about it. And they're like, man, that's a great idea. What, man, what would the, the, the good news of Jesus mean for Gentiles, of all people? I mean, we know what it means for us here in Israel. But man, how much even more does it save pagans? I mean, their gods are stupid. Their gods are disgusting. The worship of those, of those deities is awful. Man, they need some Jesus. Let's show them a better God. Let's show them a better worship. Let's show them a more beautiful way, truth, and life. And so these men from 
Cyrene and Cyprus go to this place because they heard that the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they saw that the harvest was plentiful. And also, to think about these, you know, Cyrene and these areas, uh, these are actually you know, heavily Gentile areas and regions. And so uh, maybe they saw this as an as a opportunity for a larger demographic of people that needed Jesus. And so let's look at this. Simon of Cyrene. As we all know, what you remember, what does Simon of Cyrene do? Simon of Cyrene? Yeah. Maybe give him a home for Peter? Or no. For Saul? He carried the cross of Jesus. Oh. He carried the cross of Jesus. Now, this, these are, you have to, so when you're reading scripture, you kind of have to read it together to get a picture of what's going on. So the reason why they, they believe that and feel that is because, so Mark chapter 16 is where you can find this. So they forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene. Here it is, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, Romans chapter 16 13 says, Read Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother and mine. And then we'll read in here in a few weeks, this says, from Acts chapter 13, says, Now in the church in, at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, or Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, and, a, and a, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so if you, you kind of get this picture, and so Simon of Cyrene, a lot of doctors, you know, theologians and scholars, believe that this that Simon of Cyrene, the guy who carried the cross of Jesus, watched him die a brutal death on the cross, but came to faith in Jesus because he saw him resurrected. Mm -hmm. He saw the resurrected Christ and he carried his, the cross. <coughs> so if anyone knows what, what Jesus' words meant by a victory cross daily and follow me, knows exactly what, it, what he meant. So Simon and Cyrene have powerful testimony that he was able to share with the Gentiles in Antioch. And what does it say? They went on, they went on this trip and just started sharing the gospel. He said, the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number who believed turned to the Lord. Why? Because there were already people coming to faith in, in Jesus in Antioch. And then these men came, and it started to grow even more. These people were passionate. There's probably not just a handful. There was probably like a group of people who got the call of God and said, go. These were passionate people that went. Passionate about seeing people come to Jesus because they had experienced Jesus. Not only Simon, who experienced you know, carrying Jesus' cross, but also the church that was, was built in Cyrene and Cyprus. And they got to fellowship with Jesus in the Spirit. They got to worship him in spirit and in truth. And they knew Jesus, and they were so passionate about other people experiencing Jesus with them. And the joy. They wanted others to know and experience and share the joy of knowing and loving Jesus alongside them. They weren't just trying to build something big. There's no, there's no use in like build, just simply trying to build something big. Why do you want something to grow? 
It's all about, I mean, think about it. Motivation. Like, think about it. Like, I just discovered Curry Express is amazing. <laughs> Go, it's amazing. Go experience it. Get the white people level, you know, to start out. Then maybe you can build up. <laughs> but it's amazing. It's so good. Why? Because I want you to experience it too. I want you to experience something that I love and enjoy so much that I want them to stay in business. Let's go get them in business, right? It's that, that same concept. We want, it's not that it's just we simply want to grow up big churches, but we want people to know and love and serve Jesus along with us because we have experienced something beautiful, something powerful that makes us passionate for others to experience it too. That's what drives us. That's what ought to drive us when we talk about our faith, when we share our faith with others. So let's talk about Barnabas and Saul here. Barnabas, at this point at least, was still in the church in Jerusalem. But they got word that the gospel message was going nuts in Antioch. It was going crazy. It was exploding. And Antioch, like we said, was the center of their entire region. And so they're like, wow, it started to take place even there? In Antioch? Wait, Antioch? Really? The gospel is taken off in, in Seattle? Yeah. What? <laughs> San Francisco? What? In the Hidaspery district of San Francisco? That's how it was. You're telling me that the gospel is taking, is taking root and growing and spreading in Washington, D.C.? Oh, wow. No. Not there. I gotta go check that out. <laughs> I gotta go check, that, check that out and see if it's really taking, taking form in New York. Like, really? There's a whole other story about New York. <laughs> but it was the center of their culture. And when Barnabas gets there, what happens? Oh, killed it. Flame's gone. He pushed out. No, it like grows even more. Wow. How, how does it grow even more when Barnabas gets there? By watering down the gospel? By teaching hell about prosperity? Sermons? Yeah. By making our faith into moral platitudes of life coaching and living my best life? No. By espousing laws? By making you abide by tradition? By teaching you rules and rituals and guilt and shame? You should feel bad about yourself. You're a work. You're a sinner. Is that how the church grows? No. Is he known as the the son of discouragement? No, the son of encouragement. Is he known as the, the son of guilt and shame? No, encouragement. The son of conviction? No. The son of chastisement? That doesn't work either. <laughs> No, he's known as the son of, the son of encouragement. The son of encouragement. What's going to happen? This is, I love this, this, the way the Passion Translation puts this. It says, The news of what was happening in Antioch reached the church of Jerusalem. So the apostles sent Barnabas to Antioch as their emissary. When he got there and witnessed for himself God's marvelous grace, he was enthused and, and overjoyed. He encouraged the believers to remain faithful 
and cling to the Lord with passionate hearts. So we got a point. Barnabas was a good man, full of the spirit of holiness, and he exuded a life of faith. Because of his ministry, even more crowds of people were brought to the Lord. The gospel exploded in Antioch because, because Barnabas encouraged the church. He uplifted the saints. To what? To stay faithful. Stay faithful to Jesus and cling to the Lord with passionate hearts because of his ministry to the church. More crowds of people were brought to the Lord through the church. And because of this, <laughs> he needed help. It's like, all right, where, where do I go? What, what, what do I need to do here now? So he goes, what? What do you say? He says Barnabas left for Tarsus to find Saul and bring him back to Antioch. Together, Saul and Barnabas ministered there for a whole year, equipping the growing church and teaching the vast number of new converts. It was in Antioch that the followers of Jesus were first revealed as anointed ones. Barnabas needed help. He was in the middle of you know place where he he was out of his element. People were growing, you know, the church was growing like crazy, and people needed to be discipled. We're talking, they were worshiping Apollo one day, and Jesus the next. They were in, in the, the parade, as a you know, woman dressed up as a man warrior, and now they're worshiping Jesus. Now here we kind of get a little bit of, I want to talk a little bit about the timeline a little bit here. As you can kind of see, I put it into your notes there. Um, and I'm still trying to grasp this concept. So um, Galatians chapter 2 says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus also. So this is where we get at the, at the last part, um, where, uh, where, where they're, you know, at the end of the famine, uh, I'm sorry, after the prophecy of the famine, which we'll get to here in a second, um, I believe it's that at that point that Paul and Barnabas, I'm sorry, Saul and, Bar and Barnabas go up to go up to Jerusalem to deliver the offering that they had just taken there in Antioch. And so it's 14 years. This is what he's talking about in Galatians chapter two. He says after 14 years he went up again to um, to Jerusalem with Barnabas. And I think so. There's so, but by the time after he goes up to Jerusalem the first time. So he comes to faith in Jesus, right? He, he's he's you know, prophesied over. Um, he goes blind, gets healed, and then goes to Arabia for three years. And then he comes back, and he's ministering in Damascus, and he goes up to Jerusalem. And then 14 years later is where we're at at this point. So trying to figure out the timeline, and still, still trying to piece that together. So that's kind of, kind of why I put like, some question marks in there. Uh, so he wasn't in, in, uh, in Tarsus for quite a while. I think it may be somewhere along the lines of he was in Tarsus for a year, then Antioch for a year, went to Jerusalem, came back, trying to figure it out. And so they said, or like after 12 years, then he went back up to Jerusalem. Or I'm sorry, then he, yeah. So still trying to figure out like where exactly the 14 years went. How that, how that breaks down into the timeline. Because he also says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. And that's when he's talking about when we went out to Antioch. I'm sorry, to Arabia. Was out in Arabia. 
And so that's when, it, and so whether I use the body or the body, I don't know what happens. That's what he's talking about. And so, trying to give you the picture of the timeline there. So trying to figure it out because I'm, I'm, I'm a history person. I like to see where things happen. You know. <laughs> um, so at this point, at least we know that he's been a Christian for at least five, six years. And so then he might be in Antioch for more than that time before he goes up to Jerusalem, before he starts his ministry journey. Anyway, so um, so during this time, so he goes, he goes and Barnabas gets Saul, he brings him back, and this is where it says that in, it was in Antioch that they were first called Christians. Christians. So the word is Christianus. And it's interesting. I was reading this passage, I think it was yesterday, and um, noticing a difference, like in, in the notes. The word called is not the typical kaleo, which means called out, or called and set, set on mission. This is a different kind of call. This is, call, this is the word is krematizo, krematismo, krematismo, from the Greek uh, krema. And so this is a the nuance of this word is kind of like this oracle is communicating with God, and God gives that oracle or that prophet a divine revelation, a divine calling. This is a, re a revealing. That's why I love the, the passage, how the Passion Translation, Passion Translation does it. It says, first, reveals. It's like this supernatural revelation of the church as, and how he, how he translates it as anointing ones. Now, by the 2nd century A.D., Christians start going by this term, Christian, mm -hmm. uh, mainly because it was what they had been called. In the Bible, it never said that this is a uh, word where they, they really took on this word as their, as their identity, because they always saw themselves as saints, as followers of the way, or as disciples of Jesus. But eventually, they would take on this identity. But it's interesting to see this, this thing here, and that... It, it's the question among scholars in, in this time is: Are they? Is he talking about a title called Christians, Christianos? Because back in those days, Greek was all there was no uppercase and lowercase. Well, so was it a title, or was it the the supernatural divine revelation of their identity? Because what did what was their Messiah's name? Jesus. Right, so why would they be called Christians? Christians. Because the word Christ means anointed one. Right. And so this divine revelation wasn't necessarily that the Antioch church, the Antioch world was calling them Christians as a little title. Oh, you little Christians, you little Christs. But that this is the place where God first revealed to them that they were God's anointed ones. Right. Christians. After the the image of Christ himself, after the image of the Messiah. In essence, they are called out ones. They are anointed ones with the gospel. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> with the gospel of peace. They're the called out ones. They're the anointed ones. They're anointed with the ministry of reconciliation, anointed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, anointed with agape, anointed with faith, anointed with his Holy Spirit. And this is where they were first anointed, revealed to be God's holy anointed ones. First called Christians. 
Now, does that make being called a Christian so bad? No. No. You know, like I said, like by the second century, they took this as a as a title and they started calling themselves this. Little Christ. Followers, they're anointed ones themselves. And then we get to our last section here about the prophecy of Agabus. Agabus is one of, if not the main prophet of Jerusalem. Uh, and the church in Jerusalem, which is the head of the church in that, in that time. Highly, highly trusted prophet. As this is a fulfillment of prophecy from the, old, from the first covenant. That your men will dream dreams, your women will prophesy. That you will become prophets, that you will prophesy. Prophecy did not stop. Prophetic words did not stop. Prophecy is still a thing, y'all. Prophecy, healing, tongues, all the spiritual gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit are still a thing. Now, there are lots of places that abuse them. Lots of people that don't understand them. Lots of people that get into this, like, emotional hype and use and abuse them. But there's also people on the flip side that abuse them by denying them. By saying, well, the Bible is coming, the perfect is coming, so therefore we don't need the Spirit anymore. Unless the deacons need to make a decision. I'm sorry, but the Holy Bible is not a part of the Trinity. No, it's not. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a manifestation of Yahweh himself. And he manifests himself through us. Still, today. So we neither use and abuse and and you know, misrepresent the Holy Spirit, nor do we reject him and neglect him and grieve him. And silence him. So Agabus comes. Here's what's going, going down. He comes down from Jerusalem, down from Judea to, um, to Antioch uh, to, because he, he receives a prophetic word. This is also the same guy that we'll talk about in a few years uh, in Acts chapter 21. <laughs> when he comes down to from Judea, from, uh, from Jerusalem, to Caesarea. And he takes Paul's belt and he, and he binds his hands. And he says, in this way you're going to be bound. And what happens? He gets in prison for two years back in Caesarea. And so this is a prophetic man in the life of the church. They decided to go and collect an offering on this prophetic word. What do you say? That there was going to be a great famine that would take place. As he even talks about, um, this took place during the reign of Claudius, of Emperor Claudius. And so they give you very specific, you know, scientific dates, and so we can actually date this, um, where, or at least when the famine happened. Um, and so, but here's the thing, we, they didn't happen right away. The famine wasn't the next day. The famine was after several years. So they, could they received the prophetic word and they acted. They prepared. They took an offering in Antioch and then brought it back down to Jerusalem. And then, so much so that this became Paul's ministry. When he, whenever he would go and plant churches, he would go back and collect an offering. God loves a cheerful giver. He's talking to the Corinthian church that stopped giving right. to the church of Jerusalem. Exactly. And then when he went to Jerusalem, when Agnes prophesied, over him that he's going to be in prison, he's going to Jerusalem to deliver the big offer that he collected for like five years. 
across all the churches from Philippi to Galatia to, um, to Athens to Corinth to Ephesus to Thessaloniki. Philippi. You know, Philippi. <coughs> he collected this offering for years. He was delivering it to Jerusalem. So this became a major part of Paul's ministry was to prepare for the prophetic word that had been given to, by Agabus to the church. They acted upon the prophetic word. They prepared. They served by, by doing what? By going crazy and prepping and storing up things, right? No. They started prepping by serving one another. They said, wow, the church in Jerusalem is going to be really hard hit, so we've got to make sure that they're okay. Our brothers and sisters, where the gospel came from. We've got to make sure that, we're, that, the, that the hub of our faith doesn't die. The best way to prepare for disaster and hard times is to prepare yourself to serve and minister to the needs of others. That's the best way. The best way to become the, the most effective prepper is figuring out how you can prepare to serve. You know, and we, you know, my wife and I, you know, listen to their different places, and you know, like, oh, the collapse of America, and the power grid going down, and, oh, the World War Three, and nuclear war. It's like, how do we prep? What do you want to go do this? Why not? Like, we need to get a load of ammo. <laughs> Eggs. As though we're supposed to like fight people off and kill people to protect our eggs. No. Versus, how can we help one another? And how can we be a part of the solution rather than the problem? The same when I were you know, talking about, oh, it's the band, like, do we go out to Death Hill, or do we go, like, just try to save up enough gas and, like, go out to Idaho? We're like, no. God has called us here to stay. In good times and bad. It's like a marriage covenant. We've come in, come into with you. In good times and bad, for richer or for poor. In sickness and in health, till death do us do us part. Us, as long as we all show it, prepare to serve one another. How can we gather with one another to serve one another better? Well, we have to remember that point. To remember to be encouraged by Barnabas to stay faithful to Jesus and cling to the Lord. Have faith. Your trust fully in God, fully in Jesus and one another with passionate <coughs> hearts. Because in this way, God is born. In this way, the church is built. In this way, the kingdom of God advances. In this way, more people come to faith. And in this way, the world is changed. So may I be the voice of Barnabas here this morning to us here at Sheriff's Church. Stay faithful to Jesus. Let nothing distract you. Let nothing earn your trust. Let nothing else earn your faith and faithfulness and loyalty and allegiance. Nothing over Jesus. And cling to the Lord and to one another. Passionate hearts. Ready to serve. 
ready to love, ready to pour out, ready to encourage and build up the body of Christ. And so we all come to the maturity of faith and the image of Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. And pray your blessing on us. Pray your blessing, Lord Jesus, over, over your church. God, they would teach us to, as Barnabas did, to encourage one another, to cling, to stay faithful to you and to cling to, to you, Lord Jesus. And to one another with passionate heart. Show us your faithfulness, that even when we are faithless, Lord, that you are faithful. Draw us close to your side every day. Help us to encourage one another and to serve one another in the best of times and the Lord in the worst of times. Teach us to love more every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.